Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Failing Forward. Yeah, guys, excited to bring you this episode. You may have seen the videos of uh, us playing with Greg's new small cell bees. So we uh, we discussed those quite a bit on this episode. Um, but before we get into that, this is actually a nice roundtable. I was joined by uh, Dan uh, Borkus, James Blask, Rich Fratzel, and my good buddy, Greg Burns and the whole uh, Burns crew. Um, but yeah, guys, so so getting into it. Uh, so for affiliates, so go to naturesimagefarm.com. They are almost sold out of everything. If you haven't gotten your tree stock yet, they still have American persimmon. They also still have Antonovka apple. They have black locust. And they have Comfrey Bocking 4. Nanking Cherry, Norway Spruce, and that's it, guys. So pretty soon, um, so if you guys want to get any of those trees, all you need to do is uh, use code word sample. When you check out, you'll save 10% and get a free, um, and get a free, and get free shipping. Let's try that again. So all you need to do is use code word sample in the checkout. And you'll get free shipping and 10% off. It's a it's a really good deal. Um, next, uh, at Versaland TV, Grant Schultz still has the Paw Paw course um, free. So if you guys are interested in taking the Paw Paw course, it is still available for free. So check out Versaland TV. Uh, Grant also has the, uh, if you guys want to get the TV bundle, and he has farm scale permaculture. And some other stuff going on there. Um, Grant also just uh, kind of announced that um, in October he's going to be having a hempcrete workshop out at Versaland. So if you guys are interested, they usually uh, yeah they usually run out of spaces quick. So I definitely look into to doing that as well. Um, you know, finally, if if or not finally, so. Uh, next, if you guys are into getting it, if you want to get back, get your body back into shape, fitness, and everything else like that, I'm a big fan of Rebooted Body. Um, there's actually some, so they're actually going to change up the, uh, Kevin's actually going to be changing up some stuff soon. But, you know, before you decide to check it out, I mean, you can click on the link in the show notes. Uh, we are an affiliate. Um, I check out Kevin's podcast. Uh, Kevin's been putting out some good podcasts. The most recent one uh, was about, you know, basically that just consuming more and more information about diet and exercise isn't necessarily going to get you where you want to be. And what I like about that is it's the same thing with farming. So uh, his last episode, are you on a high fact, low execution diet? And I think, you know, it's easy even when it comes to homesteading or when it comes to farming or anything else. Um, you know, to, to just consume a lot of facts and not take action. I've definitely been guilty of it. I've also been guilty of the other thing, just taking action without any facts and just kind of being up a creek without a paddle. So, um, moving on, uh, podcast blast stuff. So you guys are interested in starting a podcast and you sign up through the affiliate on my site, uh, or on the sample hour on sample hour.com. Um, same, same, uh, same applies. I'll tell you what equipment I use. Uh, basically give you a free consulting, um, no charge. I'm a big fan of podcast blast off and I'm very passionate about podcasting, um, and love to help people out. So 
it's uh it's not a big deal so you know yeah so that offer still stands and then finally not last but not least uh if you, you guys want to learn to become or uh profitable farmers small-scale farmers um i definitely recommend if you're if you're growing veg i definitely recommend checking out curtis stone's course um you know i mean they, they cover a lot of different stuff i mean you know why i mean curtis is pretty against debt going into debt uh working your way up i mean it 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 it, it it's good to read the course and and watch the videos in the course um it's easy to to get started and want to farm way too much land and then just try to go balls deep immediately and it's it's not always easy to do guys and yeah i just use the term balls deep so there we go nice and appropriate uh and so yeah so Moving on, if you guys just want to support the show, I did just change up Patreon quite a bit. Um, this past weekend when we were working on the when we were working on my walk-in cooler, got that finished, guys. Thanks to Greg Burns and the Ohio GSD crew. Um, when we were working on that, we discussed uh with just amongst the crew, like we just kind of discussed like different options and what they thought. So now there's not as many options. So before it was like five bucks a month and then things kind of got silly. So I decided to make a little bit less silly, guys. Uh, so now um, one thing I'm going to try is if you guys want to sign up at a dollar, um, you actually will get access to everything that's in Patreon from here on out. So some of the older episodes that are still there that, are, that were $5 and above, those are going to stay. But I'm going to try to do $1, see if, if more people decide to become patrons. It's a little experiment. So, um, so yeah, so I'm going to be posting content there. There's already some episodes. There's two episodes up there now that aren't out yet. And there'll probably be a third and a fourth. Um, and, yeah, so it starts at a dollar. We have the new packages are $1, $5, $10, and $20. And I no longer record a voicemail. If you want to, if you're going to pledge twenty dollars a month, and you want to be a guest on the show, um, we'll work something out. And I'll get you on the show. So there you go, guys. You can you could buy your guest spot on the sample hour. Um, so with that being said, guys, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Um, and I'm looking forward to bringing you guys more episodes soon. gonna do this last week but somebody was on vacation enjoying himself with the fam mm -hmm. good thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm just making eye contact because i'm not used to having a room of people while i do a podcast james and you're the only one without a microphone roundtable podcast roundtable podcast today. Who's here, Drew? well we have uh mr daniel borkos say hi dan hello where's, where's dan from by the way dan where are you from You have to turn the mic on to talk in it, Dan. All right, we'll talk in it. First time caller, long time listener. First time caller, long time listener, Dan Borkos. We have a small farm in between on Marysville and Bell Fountain that's called the Red Dog Ranch. 
So we pretty much just stick to animals since I'm not great at growing plants. Mm. Nice. We also are j joined here by Mr. James Blask. How are you, James? I'm fantastic. So, James, uh, tell us about your services. Um, I don't know what my services are. Well, James is the person that built naturesimagefarm.com website and everything else like that. Uh, that type of services, James. You just shy today, like Annie? No, just I don't know. <laughs> wow, Mike, wow, we have some mic fright. We have some wow. raging mic fright tonight. Killed it today. <laughs> Killed it today, James. Jimbo over there with uh, Blask Media. Blask Media. He's the one who put, who put our website together and was working with a bunch of guys in Ohio working on their websites. And yeah, he's going to have a real the good job. new Sweet Meadows website out soon as well. And also my uh, new roommate, and we are just roommates, Mr. Rich Fratzel. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone. Well, what's the name we thought up? It's uh, Dritchard. Dritchard, yes, Dritchard. Dritchard is our, uh, that's our couple name. That's our couple's yes. power name? It's couple's it power's name. Uh, that's powerful. Um, is that a thing? Do we have to go with that? Sure. <laughs> You're kind yep. of stuck now. We're going with it, Rich. <laughs> I just said it, so it's, it's permanent now. So, yeah, man, you had a great vacation. I'm really happy for you guys. Uh, you rented an RV and um, pretty much drove all over the country. Was you, you put on 6,000 miles in two yeah, weeks? Uh, 6,000 miles, seven kids, seven beehives, one RV, 14 days. That's pretty awesome. And, and then didn't lose any kids. That's really good. That's really good. Cause I, um, but so, I mean, a big thing that you guys did. On the Beecast was Michael Jordan's workshop. Yeah, we drove. The, all, yeah, the, we went on vacation, drove all the way out west, up to went up to Montana, then went south uh, into Yellowstone for a few days, and then went down to Freeman Family Farms uh, for uh, Michael Jordan's beekeeping workshop there at uh, Daniel Freeman's place, and that was pretty. That was really cool. Three three days of uh, hands-on uh, learning, uh, which was great, especially for the kids. Got to you know see the whole thing all the way through and. Uh, we put a bunch of hives together and went, went through a bunch of hives and got to learn a lot of things hands-on, which is kind of a, you know, you go, you go to a regular, you know, bee club meeting and, you know, you're learning, you, you see a presentation, someone's talking about things, but uh, you don't really get the full context um, from start to start to finish. Michael had all of all of the hives, top bars, warres, observations, Langstroth. Um, he had a bunch of hives there, so we got did, to see all the way did through. Did he have a flow hive? You know, he did not have a flow hive. I just, I don't know what's up with that. Well, it's nice because I, I had him on, I think right before, I had him on right before you guys, you went there for the workshop and he was really breaking it down. He talked on the podcast about his edge teaching or I think he, what's he called it? Edge. Yeah, edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting. He said, you know, the, the first half of the day, you just kind of sit in a classroom setting, but it's still kind of very hands on, like in the sense that it's not like a you know boring we're all sitting at the tables and then um and then you he said you he feeds you guys and then you drink mead so when you go to actually work with the bees um you get a little nice buzz before you get the shit stung out of you so how is so how was it pretty much exactly as he laid it out yeah we had a well it wasn't an inside boring classroom we were at uh Daniel's place and his him and his family have a beautiful farm i think it's like 60 acres i think 40 acres and it just sits uh, with the Rocky Mountains at the backdrop, so it's it's incredibly beautiful. And he's got a lot of things going on there: wicking beds and animals and horses and 
Uh, he's got an orchard going. He's got a lot, lot going on there. So it was cool to, you know, just to see somebody else's property first. But then when you have a B class that's set up right in the midst of all that, it was was a lot of fun too. So we started off with uh, kind of the hands-on book side of it and went through all that. And MJ's got a great way to to relay uh, beekeeping and beekeeping methods to kids uh, through one of his programs that he uses all the time with, with the kids that he teaches. And so the kids had a had a really good time with that and they uh were definitely raving about how how well he relayed that message to them and how much they how much they've understood uh with his message more so than any other um type of a, of a beekeeping method that they've heard so far so that was that was really cool so we we, we did that and we like i said we we had a we ate sampled a, a smorgasbord of, of meads that you know michael put together and then we went out and you know hands-on we're installing nukes and uh, moving some stuff around, setting up new beehives, and got to see how Daniel does all that with his quoting boxes and open feeders, and um, you know those things like that. And they've got some, you know, really nice. They've got some pretty calm bees there too, which is which is pretty handy. So there was there was no getting the shit stung out of you. Um, I think I might be the only one that got stung, and that's because there's a pile of dead bees that I wanted to pick up and sort through, and there was one of them that was not quite halfway dead and just kind of reached over and popped a stinger in. But, you know, one cool thing that we did learn, you know, from Michael, how he handles bee stings is, you know, you take your hive tool or a credit card or something, you scrape away from, from the from the area where you've actually stung to scrape the, the stinger and the sack away from you. So I did that, and Susan makes a, like a, an overall kind of a green salve, which is like comfrey and plantain and lavender and rosemary and all kind of different things that we grow here on the farm with, and it has beeswax and propolis in it. And so when you, if you do get a bee sting or a nick or a cut, you could put that right on it. And so right after this thing, I had that in my pocket just in case someone was going to get stung and put that, uh, that salve on there. And it, it took the sting off right away and it didn't swell up, didn't get ugly. So that was kind of cool to test it because it's kind of a new product we you know we're putting together. But um, so we went, went through all the hives and I had a really great time. And, you know, it was really cool because Ben, you know, He's just a little feller, and he's out there right in the mix of it, right you know, right under Michael's feet the entire time, wanting to get right up in the bees and and all that. So that was um, that was really cool. So it's 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 great to you know to go to your local you know bee club and to watch videos and to read books and to go visit a local mentor. Um, but I got to say, the way Michael does it uh, from start to finish is definitely uh, really valuable, and you know a lot of things I reinforced a lot of you know knowledge that I had. I learned a bunch of new stuff. And um, like weighing hives and how exactly he does that and, uh, you know, why he does that, uh, you know, firmed up some ideas. They need to get better at record keeping and that way you've got to, you know, you can look back and, and check out and see what's going. So, um, yeah, you know, just an overall good time. There's a lot of great guys there. Uh, Jason Gray, he's also got a, uh, a podcast, Steadcast. He's there just south of, uh, I think he's south of, uh, of uh, Don Neal down there. But lot of great guys chad simmons uh jason gray was there a bunch of people that i can't remember the names just because i'm terrible with names but a lot of super cool dudes you know it was kind of like the uh the appalachian uh, ohio gsd crew lumber squatch clan meeting with the rocky mountain crew so it was kind of it was cool so it was it was a great uh a great event and you know big thanks to them for putting it on and having us out showing us a good time it was it was great so if anyone gets the chance to check out one of Michael Jordan's workshops, they're totally, totally worth it. Absolutely. And I think what's most enticing about his workshops is kind of what you're covering with the edge method. I mean, when we go to B club, um, most, so everyone kind of has a different answer, but 
you know, they're only saying use Langstroth hives or they're only saying do things this way. There's certain things that they all agree on. And the nice thing with Michael is, is he's going to say, okay, well, I'm going to show you how to do everything. And then you're going to choose what you want to do. And that way, and he's not going to say, well, you know, he's, he'll tell you, well, that's not my preferred method, but people do this and you might like it. And he shows it to you. It doesn't tell you, it doesn't tell you what to do or how one, one of his answers, people will ask him questions and he says, well, you're the beekeeper. Does that work for you and your management goals? It's, it's up to you at the end of the day, because you know, what he does in Colorado, some things might not ring true for us here in Ohio and vice versa. But what he does is he teaches why all of these things are done and how those things are done. And then you can put those into your portfolio. One, one great, one great resource with his workshop is the book that he hands out, and it's just it's just jammed full with, with really really uh, great literature. Um, and he talks about you know building your kind of like your bee portfolio, building your own personal bee book, uh, where you're keeping records and you're keeping all those things in there. You know, so it's it's kind of like you you have a a binder full of all the tools to use. Once you get into your situation, you can easily research, go into the glossary. Uh, go through all the techniques and find out, you know, this is what's going on. This is what I'm looking at. You know, what can I do? And, and that, that's pretty cool. But um, so, yeah, so he's got a really neat way with, with with his edge method is what he calls it on on teaching from, you know, learning. You know, because like, like he was talking about, you know, all, we have seven kids. They all learn differently. Some are hands-on, some are book, some are a mixture of both, some are kinesthetic. You know, so Michael is very aware of that because he works with the kids all the time. So his his approach, uh, it it works so well for me because it works so well for the kids. He just, he brings it to a level you can just understand. Yeah, absolutely. Versus, uh, I don't know, like even if, if Nate wants to comment, like when we went to B class, not that it was a bad thing, but being kids that don't ever sit in a classroom setting, it was right. like you got 10, 15 minutes and they're going to get bored. They're going to want to walk around and then come back. And so I think that's, that's powerful. I think for, for them in a, in a big way. Nate, what'd you think of, uh, of Michael's B class, it was very well. What he was teaching was awesome. I didn't well how he was teaching it. Like when we went to uh, the B meetings every third Thursday, I think it was. I didn't understand it that well. But when we went to Danielle Danielle's uh, place, I understood it a lot better because he was teaching us how to uh, um, like lift the hives up and see like the yeah what do you think it was educational and he could teach us like individually more than just like one teacher teaching a bunch of people in the room it was and it was it was a lot more hands on and I think he puts it more edu- education like easy to understand for kids and and adults just easier to understand. Did you Jake? Did you feel like you could walk away and immediately start working with bees? Yeah. Little little, little Mike shy here. Little Mike shy, Annie is. Well, we'll, Sorry, we'll circle Annie. back, but like you know, it, it just it makes sense for everybody, and that, that makes it you know, and especially you know, we traveled clear to Colorado. Yeah, you know, and and, and uh, you know, you don't know what you're gonna expect, and you go to someone you really haven't met or their farm. Of course, I've met Michael, and I know Michael, but um, you know, I, I never personally met you know the Freemans or been to their farm. So when you're taking you know seven kids for three days to somebody else's place, 
you, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're, you're not sure like what the layout's going to be like, you know, how you're going to do your normal kind of things. And, you know, they just, they were extremely accommodating. And, um, and then to show up to a workshop where how they were teaching and what they were teaching makes sense. And everyone is like, you know, buzzing and excited and ready to keep bees when you leave there. I mean, that, that's a huge win. That's powerful. I agree. And then, so you're, so on your vacation, you decided, so you get done with the workshop, you guys spent a week in, uh, how long did you spend in uh, Yellowstone? Yeah, we spent uh, three days in Yellowstone and like a, you know, a day in the Teton Mountains, just in the, in the foothills there and the three days at um, the Freeman's Place. And then from there, we went straight east to the other side of the country. To the other mountains. To the other mountains, the, to the, to the, um, to the Rocky Mountains. Mountain, the Smoky Mountain, yeah, sorry, the, the Smoky Mountain uh, National Park. And uh, we were there for a few days and got to, um, you know, see... You know, at, at at both parks, I mean, we've seen everything: bison, grizzly bears, black bears, elk, coyote, wolves. I mean, everything that you could see, we did, which was really, you know, really cool, especially for a homesteading, homeschooling family. It was uh, super, super valuable. And so we were down there, and then uh, we went down uh, south of Atlanta to my dad's place and visited with uh, him and his wife and my grandparents uh, for a day. And then uh, we rode up to North Georgia, and where we picked up some really cool bees. So you got. So not only did you have seven kids in an RV, and you so you had a total of nine people in the in the RV, and then you also put in five new guys. Yes, but we actually we, we put in seven. So we were seven, planning on yeah. actually, you know, so we were leaving. Uh, we were at at uh, at Daniel's place, and uh, Susan's mom Terry did a great job of watching the entire farmstead for us. So big thanks to to Terry Bischel for watching our place, and everything was going so well here. And she said, "Hey, if you guys if you guys want to and you can, you can if you want to take a little bit more time on the road and pick up your bees while you're on the road, then you know do that and then come home." So that was awesome. So we ended up getting a few more days out of it, and uh, went and visited Georgia, and then uh, went up to uh, to North Georgia and um, and picked up the bees. And we're, we're you know it was a, it's a great great bee yard, a great beekeeper, and um, we got them, we were getting them all loaded up and ready to go. And, you know, he was like, you really, you're going to load all these, you're going to drive all these bees back to Ohio on this cargo receiver on, on your hitch. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, don't forget, this is all natural drawn comb. This is not cross-wired foundation. And this is about the bumpiest place in the back that, that you could ever imagine to put it. So if they were cross-wired, it probably wouldn't be a problem, but you might have a situation where you're going to have a bunch of broken off comb. You can it'd be way better if you can put it on the inside, and it's gonna be hot. And it was like it was in the nineties; it was pretty warm. And um, so I walk into the RV and tell Susan, "Hey, uh, you know that plan about keeping the bees out back? That's that's. What, how do you feel about putting them in the bulkhead here in the in the bench on the inside with us on the drive back home to Ohio from Georgia?" She's like, "Are you serious?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Okay, let's do it." So we <laughs> loaded them all up and uh, made the you know ten hour drive uh, back to Ohio with seven kids and seven beehives inside that's awesome, the RV. <laughs> that's, that's real living right there. So, so yeah, so you, you get back and, uh, cause I, I remember you, you get back and it's immediately, it's time to basically, did, so did you, did you unload the bees and get the bees set up before you even took the RV back? Well, what, so what I did, so we weren't planning on even picking those bees up, but the plan was yeah. come back to Ohio, grab my boxes, and then drive down, pick them up, and drive back up. Um, so uh, because we had that extra time buffered in there, I, I called Dad and said, hey, can you slap together something for me so I can you know, bring these bees up? So he did a good job and slapped together some transport nuke boxes 
um, to bring back here, and they really didn't need anything. You know, they, all I needed is if I wanted to, you know, uh, put a uh, jar of syrup on top, and I could. So I got we got the we got home at like two o'clock in the morning. Um, we I, I left actually left the bees on the inside of the RV that night. First thing in the morning, got them out and just put them in the shade. Got the RV, everything cleaned out, everything gone. Got the RV back, and then went ahead and moved them onto hive stands into the bee yard um, where they're at right now. As we, you know, keep working with them. Yeah, and then you made a you w- made a wonderful video advertisement for the Buzzcast. I must say, with and apparently you had you had bees in your beard, which we'll get to with the the uh, nature of these bees. But so uh, so I guess the hardware. So is that what your dad? You know what you what he slept together was that the five frame the nukes? five frame nukes yeah yeah it's just you know usually when you pick up nukes you're you're getting like three to five frames where you'll have a couple frames of brood a frame of honey and pollen and a couple frames that are aren't drawn out yet or partially drawn out you know and a, of course a matched and laying queen um, so um, so we picked up seven of those and um, like I said they're all you know full of brood and honey and pollen and the queens are doing real well and all that um, so those are those are five frame nukes you know, you can um, like last year. The best hive that we had was um, the the hive that was in five frame nukes. We just kept stacking boxes up. They did phenomenal. So, you know, just because your bee club uses ten frame Langstroth hives doesn't mean you have to. Um, and just of course, just because we use five frame nukes or eight frame mediums this year doesn't mean anybody else has to. That's just what we're finding out is working. Yeah, the the best thing is is really, and I think it goes back to what Michael was saying: is figuring out what works for you. Like getting back to the bee book is building your own manual for how you want to run your bees and i think that's that's the biggest thing is like there's so many different ways to do beekeeping you just have to figure out what works best for you yeah and 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 experiment and and have fun and everything else like that now now i did notice when we went out to those um to those nukes out there you had some some uh interesting mason jar setups that were dripping into the nuke boxes yep yeah so um, what we're doing to get these bees on a, on a fast, healthy start is we're feeding them a sugar syrup and essential oil mix. Um, in those essential oils, there's uh, spearmint and lemongrass. Um, so what that does is it helps with their kind of helps with, with their tummies so they can you know, produce, so they can uh, process um, some of the sugars. Um, but it also helps to prevent some mites if we were to ever have mites in there. So it's kind of a, it gets them on a quick, healthy start. Um, what it does um, Right. The, what we did is mix about a two to two and a half uh, to one ratio of, of sugar to water um, with those oils in there. And what that does is it helps those bees make draw out comb fast. You know, so until they draw out comb, they have no place for the queen to lay eggs. They have no place to deposit pollen or nectar. So by feeding them now and putting the sugar to them, as, as old beekeepers would say, they're building uh, that comb quick. And so what we're looking to do with these bees for this year is to build a lot of numbers going into the wintertime. Um, and so, so far it's working incredibly because they've already got those boxes fooled out and they're, they're probably, they're already starting to put drone cells on and they'll be putting swarm cells on here probably this week, uh, which is exactly what we're uh, looking to have them do. And but, so, so the intention of keeping them in the new boxes is to get them to produce and get them to, to get super overpopulated so they will swarm. So then you can basically effectively have a new so get two hives out of one yeah make a make a split you know you're letting them um you're it's called crowding them out so you're putting them in a smaller box to start with and once they get to a place where they don't have any more room uh for honey uh and to put brood 
then they'll go ahead and start making drones. They'll go ahead and uh, put the uh, start making some queen cups or some queen cells. And as far as they're concerned, that is their home, and they're running out of room. So by creating a another queen cell, they're going to go ahead and, and hatch her out and then leave. They're going to swarm. So we use that to our advantage by uh, letting them do that, keeping them in that environment. And then we'll go ahead and split that hive out. We'll take a frame of brood with that queen cell on it. Um, we'll shake at least a frame of bees on there with it, uh, a frame of honey, and also a few frames, a couple frames of foundation. Um, and we'll put that into a new box. And we might close them up for a couple days. Um, and then, and then, um, kind of, you know, at, after three days, you know, once the, once the, the, the queen cells on there, they're already anticipating on hatching her out. So if we take that, that frame of brood with that queen cell, put it in a box and put those nurse bees back in there, they'll actually stay right there and keep nursing her out all the way. Then when she hatches, you know, it, it's almost like, Hey, she's my queen. These are my people. Let's get to work. And so everything's already there for them to do that and have all the room in the want, all the room that they need to do that. The original hive, the mating hive that we started off with still has the queen, all those other workers, everybody else in it, they can get back to work now because when we pull those frames of brood and honey and things out, then we're going to add new frames of foundation back into there, checkerboard those um, inside of that nuke box, and then let them go crazy doing the same thing that they, that they did when we brought them here. Draw out comb, fill it full of brood, bring in pollen to feed, the, to feed the, those bees, and we can keep doing that over and over and over again um, and to, to build our numbers up. Now, of course, we're not going to be making splits uh, in October or November, because it's, it's probably too late to get enough numbers um, so they can stay warm and they can cluster and they have honey and, and things like that. So this year, we're not looking to make honey at all. We easily could with these guys, but we're looking to uh, get some really, really strong numbers uh, going into the winter, see how they do. And if they overwinter well, we have big numbers, you know, then we'll, we may have, you know, small cell bee nukes to set for to sell in the spring. Um, but more importantly, we'll have uh, bees that are ready to rock and roll early spring mm-hmm. and we're not playing catch up, you know, bringing nukes in or trying to get a package going and, um, and all those kind of things. But it was cool to be able to take, you know, all you guys out there and, and see, you know, what we're seeing. What Rich, what did you think of the, what was your opinion on, I'm not sure how many beehives you've been around. So haven't actually been around any hives. Okay. Um, I was surprised how docile they were mm-hmm. just really good natured bees, uh, small bees, uh, they they kind of look like the feral bees I, I would see in Connecticut, you mm. know, as far as their size w- went. Um, very impressed by them. Yeah. How many times did you get stung? Not once. Is that because you were wearing a suit? No, we were. Well, we had almost the whole Burns family out there. We know, had we had Ben causing a ruckus. We had Ben's trying to put his we, eye up to the uh, entrance and looking. In. We had okay. we had uh, Jake sitting on top of a rain barrel with Izzy in it, slamming on it, and her yelling at yep. him, and they didn't even care. No. We were crawling all over them. Guys were underneath yeah. taking yeah. video and pictures up, and the wonderful bees. What was the most interesting you 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 your the most interesting takeaway you from seeing those today? Oh wow! You know, I was just trying to take it all in. You know, we got to see some some bees hatching out of out of cells. Uh, we got to see you know the larvae in the cells. Uh, um, I missed the queen. I came back to get my camera, and by the time you found the queen, but uh, yeah, yeah I, I, it was just very interesting for me. First time being around hives, and and just seeing the way you could handle them. Uh, even got to taste some honey right out of right out of one of the cells. It was a wonderful thing. Dan, what was your thoughts? You just got bees. You joined a bee club too, but a separate one from Greg and I. And uh, what what are your thoughts? You have bees now. 
Um, you have uh, what do you have? Italians, right? I believe so. Is that Card- Cardolians or whatever? Okay, probably but, Italians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but normally we go out there, and I'll put on my full, well, the half bee suit and gloves and stuff, and. I think part of my problem with my bees is purely inexperience of just handling them. But then playing, and I call it playing with the small cell bees today, I was holding frames up right to my face, and I thought it was pretty sweet because you could see the larva from absolutely just being laid in there to where Greg held up a frame and you're watching them hatch out of the frame. Yeah. And things like I've only seen like videos of, but you can actually, I saw a few times the bees doing the dance on the, the waggle uh, frames dance. yeah the waggle dance pointing to where they found pollen so it was it was really neat just to be able to unexposed just be able to hold them and look at them and i had a few crawling on me and i had no concern whatsoever and definitely something i'll be looking into in the future we we also got to see a uh, bee dropping off pollen. That was oh depositing yeah. pollen. Yeah, that, that was really cool. cool. That was cool. To that was see probably him, actually the first time I seen that was was with you guys. That was cool. See him back into the cell, or you know, and, and actually yeah. kick off the pollen. That was pretty. James, neat. you can, you're ready to talk. All right, we want we want your what your your thoughts. What do you think, Jimbo? More than two words. That's all right. I I, I do like to talk. I just I was kind of thrown off the last time. <laughs> Um, Make excuses. It is yeah. Like well, it is excuse podcast. Excuse cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just getting into the game this year. Uh, first time ever. Uh, we came out to do the uh, B boxes with Greg. That was really my first uh, entry into all of this. And me too. Yeah. And well, besides uh, B school. And so uh, just trying to get my feet wet here, and I'm just trying to learn this year. And I didn't. I didn't. That's why I didn't get any uh, any nukes this year. Uh, just because I don't know what I'm doing right now, and I don't want to kill something off and spend money on it. It's an investment. Yeah, yeah it's a, yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. And so being able to come out here and Greg's like, hey, we're going out there without any suits on. And to be able to be that close and being next to Greg as his docile those bees were was such a learning experience. I get to ask questions like, you know, you know, I, I don't even know. Anything about beekeeping at this point, but being that close to a comb, while you know you're pointing out, this is what this guy's doing with the dance, mm-hmm. and these are the the bee uh, the bees being born. Um, you know, this is what they do for making queens and you know drones and whatnot. It's like I I, I can't get that learning experience uh, in a book by, by any means. I'm a visual person, uh, so being able to be there without a bee suit on. Uh, without something that's getting me all hot and you know, and kind of blocking my view a little bit, that that was an amazing experience. Nice. For me, I think. Uh, I mean, I I'd been around your bees last year when Michael and I went around uh, Rob's bees, but we didn't actually open up any boxes. Mm-hmm. We we basically stood outside. Watching from the entrance. We yeah. we could watch them from the entrance. We could smell that they knew we were there and they were ready to attack. Yep. But we weren't doing anything crazy. Like, we didn't open the box. We stood outside. Uh, Michael put his ear to the box to hear the activity in the in the swarm. Or not in the swarm, in the hive. Um, and so it, it was uh, very different this time. Because even your small cell feral bees you had last year that were just some right. wild bees, they still set off the pheromone. You could still smell. Right. But these guys, it was a lot different. It, it, it's interesting, too, because when we were on our way down to... Um, the homeschool conference the last time we hung out we you and i were going back and forth about what i should do with bees 
because we knew, you know, for me, it's definitely something that I need to kind of, it's nothing like where I, where I could fit in. And it's like, I want to learn how to keep bees and I want to do that. But I think there's, there's a heavy, there's this heavy idea of, of overwintering or, or doing a lot of other stuff. Like I, I wouldn't mind going out there and checking on them, spraying with honey, go or, or spraying them with powdered honey or powdered sugar, log keeping. But I think when it comes to, um, splits and stuff like that I, I think that that feels pretty overwhelming i mean even with with some other things so i think today you know with these small scale small cell bees and the fact that um you know i i mean and we'll get into this later about where i'm at with bees i'm not really I'm, i think i have more experience and a little bit more education than james but when it comes to action being taken i mean i just brought my hives here today to paint so I think for me, it's 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 definitely working with those bees and getting started, and then thinking about catching wild swarms and messing with that stuff. It's definitely put a lot of things into um, context for me as to what I'm really looking for with keeping bees this year, and what my goals are actually going to be, which we're gonna we're gonna touch on that later. So, um, Greg, what is your what is your opinion? Because these are ultimately your bees. Um, you know, you've you've talked about wanting to do small scale B or small cell bees at B club and people say, Oh, good luck with that. Nobody's been successful. Um, I've heard a lot of people say good luck with that. Uh, even, even, you know, just friends because it, it is so, um, it's not, it's not conventional, even in a hobby, natural beekeeping. It's very unconventional. Say super controversial, very controversial. I mean, these bees are, you know, you can there's in some instances where there's science saying one way or the other there's uh, experiential data that's showing one way or the other um, but like we've kind of talked about the basic idea with these bees is because of that smaller size 4.9 millimeter uh, over 10 in those cells is you have a bee that first has a trachea that is smaller than the size of trachea mites that affect regular size honeybees so right off the bat um, the idea is that they're less affected by one mite to start with, trachea mite. The second idea is that varroa mite prefer larger drone cells um, and standard honeybee size cells. So that being said, if we're starting off with a bee size that's 4.9 rather than like a 5.2 or a 5.4, the cell size that the honeybees are creating are, are even smaller than the size of a standard B cell. So when the varroa mite has an opportunity to lay and they prefer a specific size of cell, the idea is that because the small cell B is smaller, they make smaller cells, it's less enticing for a varroa mite to want to, to, to lay and hatch out and cling onto a larva in that situation. So that's another big thing that they kind of have um, in their favor. Now, like I said, it, it's extremely controversial. There's no one here doing it. Um, and so rather than, you know, taking the word of a couple of the folks in our local area that have an opinion, I thought, well, let's just do it and find out. And then we'll have data and we'll share our experience one way or the other, good, bad or ugly. Um, because, you know, if we do have a bee um, that we can raise here um, that uh, is less vulnerable to being wiped out by a varroa mite or trachea mites, we're setting ourselves up with we're setting ourselves up with healthier bees with little or no treatments going into the winter. Yeah. And that's huge. Exactly. Especially yeah. here, you know, um, you know, here uh in Ohio. So um 
so our, you know, like that's what we're doing this year is they're, they're, they're experimental bees. Um, we're not using any kind of a hard or synthetic chemical on them whatsoever. Um, our, our goals, uh, for management for any kind of treatment is, um, if they get varroa mites and they, they get it to the point where they, we need to take action. Um, the only action that we're going to take is, uh, adding staghorn sumac berries into our smoker. Uh, we might do like what Michael does and we might add rhubarb leaves into our smoker for salic acid, for citric acid, for natural plant forms of those chemicals, plant-based chemical rather than synthesized vapors that we're going to put into the, the hive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, those, and, and, and that being said, we're not even doing that preventatively. We're going we're gonna to be more reactive on that approach to where if we are seeing mites and that we're, for some reason we think the bees can't keep up you know, with the mites, um, we may intervene, but I may, I may only do it with half of the hives and keep half of them completely, you know, uh, zero chemical treatments, um, even plant-based. Um, so to be clear, we're using zero, none hard chemical or even soft chemical or any kind of a synthesized chemical. Um, we are using essential oils, so we could argue if that's a chemical or not, but we are using essential oils right now in the feed, lemongrass oil and spearmint oil. Um, and when it comes time to, to treat, if and when we treat, it's going to be, like I said, with plant-based leaves um, and, and berries. Um, so it, uh, we're kind of excited to see if, if that's even going to work um, first. But, um, you know, we're certainly, last year we took the, the almost near Puritan treatment-free approach. Um, and, you know, when you're starting off year one with genetics and nukes or packages from somebody else or another apiary that's, that's never done that, it's a... You know the the car it's stacked against you to get those bees to survive, um, in a different management style, and so we tried that last year. And of course, you know we thought we were doing pretty good, um, but our bees got ate up pretty terrible with with varroa mite. And we tried you know um, some some uh, powdered sugar and, and things like that, and you know it it wasn't as successful as we as we needed it to be because they got weak and it was one thing after another: mice in the winter and the, the cold and 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 the more so the wet and the cold, but. Um, so, yeah, we're excited to take more of, um, I don't know. More hands-on approach this year? Yeah, um, definitely. We, you know, it, it, one thing to, to consider, and I think this comes up a lot, and, you know, Dan has bees. You know, you are, are going to have bees, yeah. which, which means you and Rich are going to have bees to be working yeah. out. Jimbo is probably going to get bees at some point. You know, a lo- what a lot of people want to do is they think the idea of getting bees is great, and it is. You know, we're going to get, you know, some species of bees are on the, on the endangered species list. You know, so everyone knows that, you know, if we don't, if, if we have bees shut down for like three or four years, we're, we're, we can pretty much starve to death. Without bees, we don't, no bees, no food. You know, it's a, it's a valid argument. So there's a lot of people who, who are in this kind of movement that we are in with, you know, getting back to the land and raising food and, and trying to live a cleaner, simple life. You know, keeping bees is like one thing that we can do ecologically for ourselves um for our crops things like that so a lot of people like that idea and it's hard not to so they want to have bees um but a lot of people whether it's um you know paralysis by analysis they're not comfortable uh and their skills they're afraid to fail or afraid to lose they don't step into keeping the bees so they'll have a hive and they'll put bees in it and if they're lucky the bees will live and do their thing and the bees will figure it out um that is certainly a valid approach, um, and you can certainly do that. 
but there's, there's always going to be consequences for keeping it that way, and you have to be good with that. If that hive decides this hive is no longer big enough because we're healthy and split and they're gone, what value have you really created long-term in that scenario? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And also, I mean, just we were talking before, like uh, a friend had told me, um, you know, this person was working at a, a small organic farm and the farm's parent person's parents are still on the farm they said they're going to keep bees for the first year they buy a, a swarm or they buy bees they try to install them and they leave and a lot of that too is just with um you know hive management skills so you know going in with hive management skills as michael jordan says the nine the nine to eleven so let's do this every nine to eleven days you're you're going to go you're going to go mess with your bees open them, get them get them used to you and, and get them Get them knowing that. Look, see what they're doing. See if they're laying yeah. eggs. See if they're putting on swarm cells or making drones. To, so you can then plan to know yeah. kind of what you're going to do next. So so what is your hive management for the next month? What are your plans for that? Yeah, so for the next month, I'm going to continue to, to kind of crowd them out. Um, so uh, they want to put on queen cells and swarm. Um, and once I see swarm cells being created, then I know I've got three to five days to move that brood out of there. Um, if I let them go, of course... They're going to hatch a queen and could probably take the queen and half of the population out. So uh, my goals are, is we, you know, when we got back from vacation, uh, Susan and the kids did a great job of getting all the hives painted. Um, we're experimenting with a couple um, new ideas on how we're using um, entrance dials to be able to open them up, to vent them, um, to have every single box vented. You know, we're going completely away from a screen bottom board and we're going to do solid, solid bottom boards. Uh, completely closed off at that entrance um, with these entrance dials on the front and back um, to where they have a one-inch hole opening is what it is on a dial um, uh, and let them come in and out of the hive that way on the front and the back. On the back, they'll be they'll just be vented for right now. And did you did you pick that up from going to Michael's course? At his his uh, his dad was pops uh, was talking about that, and I know my dad was thinking about doing something like that too, and had had some order to, to put on, and uh, you know just. It, it makes a lot of sense to be able to have a little bit more control than just putting uh, an, an entrance reducer um, inside of there. A lot of people are going to, you know, have their opinions on, you know, not using a screen bottom board versus having a screen bottom board. And um, is that that's actually what we had built initially. Initially, it, it's, it's like the yeah. basic, you know, um, if anyone locally, the reason we, we, we built them like that is because, you know, uh, what I don't if, if someone asks for my opinion, I'll give it to you. And I'll help you all day long, um, and I, I love doing that. Um, when you're setting up a community hive build, I, I don't feel necessarily correct in imparting my management methods or what I'm thinking or my style with everybody else and building a hundred hives just like how I would run hives. So we kind of did something in between where. We, we went with a non-conventional approach with using all mediums and using eight frames, um, but used a top lid and a screen bottom board. We totally omitted the inner cover, um, totally. So it's kind of, it, it gives everybody here in the community, they can go to their bee club, they can look at their books, they can look at their videos and understand all the components of the hive, and they are set up for a certain measure, certain measure of success that way. So that, that's why we built everything that way. Um, you know, and it was time for us to do ours. We decided, well, I kind of wanted to do something a little different. Quick, quick question here. Uh, you're talking about how you don't want to tell someone how to 
basically run their own hives. And you had touched on that earlier about you know, how Michael talks about, like, you know, you're the beekeeper, you know, you, you're the one to manage your system. Uh, you know, what suggestion or uh, would you have for like, uh, a newbie like me or, or Drew here uh, who tr- doesn't know their own style of management, who's trying to figure it out yeah. for themselves? You know, it's, it's, it's not like so like when I hear people say, well, you got to do what's best for you. It's like, oh, I don't know what's best for me because I've never done this in my life. So how do I figure that out? I, I totally have to agree with James on that one because just getting into it and having bees for a month maybe now, and it's I was always told that you ask 10 beekeepers the same question, you'll get 15 responses. Yeah. But it is so difficult at this point to really figure out what works best for me and at the same time what works best for me without killing my bees. So what what the question maybe you haven't asked yourself or no one's asked you is why in the world do you want to keep bees to start with? You've, honey and I love making mead. There you go. So, so this is this is actually super super important. You have to ask yourself why in the world do I want to raise bees? Why in the world do I want to raise pork? Why in the world do I want to do anything in life? Yeah. Right. Before you do that, you can't even you can't set up a management method. You can't set up goals. If your goal is to raise pork, well, it's like I love pork chops and I love bacon. And I want to sell some and <laughs> pigs are great and I think they're cute. All valid. All truths. But why? In your context, are you going to bring pork? Or in this, in our conversation, why are you going to bring bees onto your property? Like you just mentioned, you love mead and honey. So your goal for the bees is to make honey. How you approach your bee yard is going to be based on making honey. You're not going to be doing what I'm doing this next month on working on making numbers. You know, so the, the big ask yourself why. Why do I want bees? You know, if, if you're going to go through the pain and the aggravation mm-hmm. and the expense to have bees, do yourself a favor. You know, spend some time to think about, with, with, with any investment in life, why do I want to do this? You know, right. it can de- it'll definitely change. I mean, and it, it can change and it can flip. It can be something completely different once you get a little more feedback. But why am I going to do this to start with? So in Dan's situation, why does Dan want to have bees? Honey. Why do you? Why would you want to have bees, James? And my answer is the same as Dan's. As far as I want to hunt for the honey and to make mead, I I, I know I already know that I have no interest in uh, making splits myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I'm sure that can get time time a uh, lot time put into it, time intensive. Mm-hmm. And I I got a million things in the fire right now, and I know that I wouldn't be able to put the uh, the devotion to, into it that it needs. And so that's not my goal. My end goal is to benefit my family with honey uh, for right. general purposes. Then now that you have your goal, I want bees because I want honey. You know, then you set up the management style that, that you set up the methods that support your goal. So if your goal is honey, let's learn methods to make honey, and that's the road to go down, which is a different road altogether than just having the beehive. And doing whatever, 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 and it's also different from uh, keeping the hive to make wax or to uh, harvest pollen or to make bees or to sell nukes or to sell packages. So the most important thing is why. So now you know why. Now in the future, when you think about okay hives, so in this situation out here, if you guys were wanting to make honey on these same bees, uh, you wouldn't be splitting them next week. I'm going, to, I'm going to take all seven of these hives, or two of them are sold, but five of them, and I'm going to double down. I'm going to make all, all 10 hives. I should have 10 hives by the next week if they put, if they put the swarm cells on the next couple of days. Um, 
in the honey situation, when you see them starting to get crowd out and they've got brood from wall to wall and they've got honey and they're starting to put those, those cell, those swarm cells on, it's a really easy fix. You put a box on top and put frames of foundation on top. Now they can go right back to work. They can put honey up there. They can start, um, you know, making, uh, start laying the brood in there. And if, if that's a box, like if it was early spring and they have plenty of honey and nectar coming in or plenty of nectar coming in, um, and they're capping honey and you don't want them to swarm and you're going to put that box on top. There's a million things you could do, including putting a, a queen excluder over the box to keep that queen in the lower box to let all the workers go above and just do nothing but load those frames full of honey. That, that's like the, at the very most simplest thing you could do is that you don't have to use a queen excluder if you don't want to. Some people like them, some people don't. My biggest difficulty going through all this is that when I tell a lot of beekeepers that I don't want to do synthetic treatments, mm. they look at me cross-eyed like something's seriously wrong with this guy. And right. you got to shove vapors in there and all this other crazy nonsense. And it's Might away strips. And yeah, it's been kind of a little bit more of a challenge because half the input I get, I just kind of throw away immediately. Yeah, But I've been kind of fortunate in just randomly stopping at a guy's house in my area and knocking on his door and... He's completely pretty much treatment-free and doesn't believe in adding sugar water. Or, yeah, third generation doesn't add, believe right. in adding sugar water. Told me I was crazy for that. Mm-hmm. Said essential oils are crazy. You just got to let the bees do their thing and yep. help them. And There's uh, probably a ton of uh, validity to that. If you have bees that can build comb and they can make bee, they can make they can uh, have a queen that's laying and they're bringing pollen in, um, why in the world would you, you know, put? And it, it, there's what he's saying is there's a lot of truth. To it. Like the RBs out here, um, they've been out here for a week, um, and they've used less than one gallon of syrup, seven nuke hives, less than a gallon, which is that's hardly anything. But what, what that tells you is they're they're preferring to go out and get nectar. They they don't care for that sugar water right now, so that's you know that's a lot of valuable feedback. If you were if I would have had these bees. Uh, in like January and February, and coming out of it to where the weather's uh, warm enough to where the water's not freezing, and I wanted to put those jars, those, those inverted jars in the lids to, to feed them, uh, you know, that would give them um, an opportunity to build comb quick, more so rating, rather than waiting for the early, early, early tree pollen to come on in like late February and March, like the maples are like one of the first ones. You know, so it's, you know, using sugar water and essentials is kind of like a, a time savings uh, tool when you're getting your 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 apiary established. You know your buddy with if he's third generation. I mean, I don't. He, he's he's probably has 20, 30, 50 hives and has all those genetics to where you know if they need bees, he go out and split them the same way I'm doing it. And they're already established. They're already going. And that ultimately that's the idea with what we have here is that we're doing nothing for them um, other than than maybe moving boxes around, moving frames around. Um, and so that's I think that's an, an excellent goal and i think part of it too is i listen to a lot of the conventional wisdom like go to your local bee club they'll help you out with everything and it kind of turned more or less into my local bee club was very heavy on chemical treatments i even brought up like hey i have this guy doing small cell bees and they said oh it's not going to work they'll die (laughs) and that's funny and that was like that was the that was the entire conversation it wasn't well i've never i've heard of this guy doing it it didn't work out for xyz they just died. Yeah, and, 
Greg was told that at RP Club too. I'm pretty sure it's not going to work. They're going to die. They're going to go back to making larger cell bees. I think that's all the criticisms I've heard. There's uh, they, they, I don't think they said they're going to go back to making larger cell. They just said they're you know they're not going. There's no improvement on the health of the hive by using a smaller bee. They're not as productive as big bees. They yeah. don't bring in more as much honey or pollen or. But that's you know that there's. If you look past, like you know, like we're talking about, like with anything, and Rich could probably you know speak to that, you know, if you're seeking out um, knowledge and you're looking for the method and the how-to and not the why-to of it, you're gonna you're gonna fall in, in a trap over and over and over. Yeah. And so instead of going to the bee meetings looking for how to, uh, a, a how-to or a method methodology, when they are are, are preaching their doctrine, ask them why. Well, why do you do this? And if they can if they can explain to you exactly how, now you have a piece of data that you then can think about and run through your mill and research. You know, and I, and I think that's extremely valuable, especially if you've got a guy who's been keeping bees for forty years, and he's had to, you know, use a certain chemical in the last ten years, and that's the only thing he's he's been able to do to keep his bees alive. I bet if you talk to him, thirty years ago he wasn't doing that. And learning what happened over 30 years that caused that to happen, that is, is is really great information. And I think that's why you should join your local bee club and you should seek out old timers and, you know, don't try to mimic what they're doing, but just learn what you can from them and absorb that in because everyone has something to say. And you can learn anything from anybody, I think. I I 100% agree. I think... Uh I think it's it's just all a matter of your filter, like having your filter. When you know why you're doing something, you say, okay, well, that won't work. Uh, this guy's saying that because he's just trying to sell queens. He's trying to breed queens and sell queens. Yep. So he's going to have a different method on how he's keeping bees. You want honey. So just like Greg alluded to, you're going to have a different method. And I think essentially you're just farming bees. I think that, what would you say? I mean, you're trying to propagate bee population. Well, or, I guess if we had to look at the, what's the proper definition of farming is to produce an agricultural crop for resale. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I would agree. Farming is about making money. I'm not exactly, my, my yeah. goal with these bees is to not make bees to sell bees. I w- that, no, no, but your, goal. your goal is to so, propagate the small cell bees. I think that's yeah. it. Like, to, to not, like, to, to increase that population. So I'm, I'm probably using the wrong word. No, I know. I just, I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's an important point to make. Yeah. Even outside of the bee conversation, you know, with, with, um, with farming and even if it's an urban homestead or a backyard, if you're creating a tomato to sell it, you can call yourself the farmer. Yeah. I, like we've already talked about this and probably beat that horse dead. I'm, I we don't have, yeah. Plant, I don't consider I think, myself Cause your, your passion is really plant propagation, even with the nursery in a sense, like you, you want to propagate more plants. There's a certain hillbilly passion, I think for, um, it, it might go back to just old, Appalachian roots, making uh, creating a surplus where there is none. Yeah, I think is why I get excited about perennial plants and trees, and um, you know, saving seed when I can, and you know, thinking about keeping lines of animals going. Um, and the same thing with the bees. Mm-hmm. You know, there's 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 a certain richness. Um, I'm I'm not rich financially by any stretch, you know, but with my family and the work that we do, I, I feel like I'm rich beyond measure. Yeah. And and one asp- one of those things that for me I feel rich is when you do have a yard that you have bees in, and you have the confidence to know that you can turn those five nukes into ten nukes, 
you know, and you can potentially, if in the future you could, you could, you could create a, a business out of that to hand to your, one of yeah. your sons or daughters to take care of. Like there's a certain almost legacy. And Susan was, Susan was talking about, you know, one of the guys, I think it was, might've been even been Chad Simmons at the, at the workshop was saying, you know, what you guys are doing with your kids is incredible. You're, you're setting up a legacy. Um, so I think that's maybe why, you know, bees, you know, why, Rich, why do you, why do you get so excited about propagating? And you, I mean, he's Mr. Green Thumb. Why do you get yeah. so excited about plants and, and doing those kind of things? Well, see, I, I see the human being's role on this planet as really stewards, right? And I, I think that uh, when we propagate plants, we're kind of, we're, we're helping, we're helping out the planet, right? We're really helping out us. The planet doesn't they don't need really us, need much help, those but, plants. but yeah. we're, we're helping us out. And, and so my passion about bees, if I ever go that route, is going to be also their, for their pollination, right? Because bees are in a tough way right now in this country. And... Um, I think the more people that can that can get involved in that, uh, we stand a chance. And um, are you going to start crying like John Kohler no, does? No, Victory Gardens cry. and beehives <laughs> for all. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to cry. I, but no, I get I get really passionate no, about. No, I know, buddy. But, I, we uh, just watched some John Kohler videos together the other day, and he cries in every damn video about. He gets on his soapbox and starts crying. And who is this John Kohler? The Grow Your Own Greens guy, Discount Juicers. If you know him, if you saw him, he but looks. Anyways, be, keep going. Bees, if you if you think about it, though, look at how we treat them, right? Migratory beekeepers loading them on tractor trailers, driving them around the countries to to pollinate different crops, uh, and then we wonder why uh, why we're, we're they're suffering colony collapse. Um, so, so I, I I really respect anyone that that's uh, has respect for the bees and is trying to do things the old fashioned way, the the, the natural way. Um, I actually have an actual question about the small cell bees we keep talking about. There's a difference between phasmacomb and everything, but why are the bee sizes different? How did it ever change? Yeah, so it would have been like what in the 40s or 30s. Uh, AI Root, which is a very well known um, bee guy, like bee, he has plenty of books on Amazon. Bee historian, mad bee scientist. Mm -hmm. um, they bees were were initially small. Um, so this is this is something that's always been. Yeah. The old time bees were small bees, and and the 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 history on that is that they decided that just like how a lot of things go sideways in modern ag, we can do things you know bigger, better, faster, stronger, harder, you know the whole Daft Punk uh, song. Same same thing with the bees, um, and so they took those small bees and said, hey, if we breed these to make bigger bees. They'll bring in way more nectar, way faster, make more honey, which is more profit and more blah, 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 right? There's probably lots of other reasons why they thought that outside of just profit, but I mean, that probably gears most of that change as it is a dollar bill. Um, and so they 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 uh, increased the size of the bee from about, you know, there's bees even smaller than this, you know? Um, our, like I said, ours are 4.9 millimeters. Uh, about the average, like what yours will be, or considered probably like a 5.4. It doesn't sound like that's a whole lot, but when you go out and look at them, you can you can see, oh my God, these bees are tiny. They're way, I mean, they're not microscopic, but they're you know it, uh, they almost seem 25 percent smaller, 20 yeah, percent smaller. For looking at my bees, the few times I've dug in there and just checked them since I've through, cause I I didn't start with nukes, I started with packaged bees. Yeah. 
but from looking in there and actually seeing them and then seeing your say there's there's a noticeable size difference yeah and so you get you know so they 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 made them bigger uh, for uh you know their own goals and purposes and you know there's a lot to be said about you know once they started doing that the overall health um, and behaviors of the bees changed and like like anything you know what we have you know, new viruses and parasites and diseases that creep up over time that, you know, may or may not be uh, a, uh, a symptom or a reaction for an action that we take or something that we put in place. You know, there's a lot to be said about, um, you know, when you look at the history of the honeybee, um, to look at that timeline and to look at when, you know, the varroa destructor started to really become a big problem and when trachea might start to be a big problem. And when hive beetles started to be a big problem, and when colony collapse disorder started to be a big problem, you know they're saying that we're starting to see uh, that wave dying down on how destructive the varroa mite is, um, and so the bees are highly adaptable. You know, I brought bees back from North jo- uh, North Georgia, and I'm not worried one bit that they've never overwintered in Ohio. I'm not worried one bit. Last year, I brought bees in there that were supposedly overwintered in Ohio, and they were terrible. They just didn't pan out. Um, I think they can build certain resi- they can build resistances and they can build uh, uh, a, a behavior, but I think they're probably one of the most highly adaptable animals or insects on the planet. They're super, super highly adaptable. And um, you know, like what Michael Jordan does is he has he, ha- he has his bees almost down this small. I think he's down like a five two, and, and, he, and I think he's working on getting his even smaller. You know, once you get them big, you can regress them down smaller and smaller and smaller to get them down to four point nine. Um, you know, if you take, there's a lot of arguments. If you take a regular size honeybee um, and just put a, a like a bead of wax on a popsicle stick on a frame and let them draw their own comb, if you measure it out, most of the time they're actually going to draw out a smaller comb to start with. Um, so I, I think, you know, I think the bees probably want those smaller cells. So it's neat to be able to have ones that are already making those super small cells to start with. So just just for thought hypothetical. So if I wanted to possibly start gearing towards smaller cell, could I buy small cell foundation and throw that in my hive? You can, but you you wouldn't want to go like you wouldn't want to go straight to like what we have here, the four point nine. Okay. Okay. You wouldn't like you you would regress them down from like because you're probably at like five four, you'd probably go like five two, five, five and then four nine. It'd be like a, like it's usually like a three step process, um, and that would be you would probably be at four nine. And it depends on, on your management and, and your, your, your skills and the bees on how fast you could do that. But if you're getting into like 30-day cycles of the bee um, and, and requeening each time you do that, you know, um, you'd be maybe 90 days at the very, very soonest. Oh, so this isn't a thing like over years. This is like... It's, about, it's probably a, a year. Well, a season's probably pushing it because then you're going to go into the winter uh, building small... You're gonna have a you're gonna have a small colony going into the winter time because you're regressing them, regressing them, regressing them. I don't know that that would be a, a smart move, um, but like to go down one or two sizes per year. Okay. I think that I think that's extremely doable. Now, do you have any conventional beekeepers around you that have large bees? Mm-hmm. Are you any con- any concern about your small cell bees mating with conventional bees? No, because I have the the it's all that's all based on the size of the of, of the queen herself. Okay. So if I were to um, if I were to catch a swarm and then take that queen and put her in these frames, um, what she'll probably do uh, is what what would she do? Would she only make drone? I think she might. And that's backwards. I think a, a small cell would only make drones. 
you know, when the, when the, when the queen lays her abdomen into that cell, it's a certain size and her abdomen kind of squeezes into that. And whether that's maybe uh, a larger drone cell or a standard worker cell um, can help dictate what size or what the egg may turn out to be. And then of course everyone feeds them, you know, more and more uh, royal jelly or propolis or nectar. And it helps to, to develop what that cell actually turns out to be, whether they draw out, draw out drones or just worker bees. So you, you, I'm not concerned with cross mating. Um, if anything, like I'd be, I'd be happy with um, continuing uh, mixing up the, the 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 genetics. My bees out here, they're not Italians, they're not Carniolans, uh, they're not Russians, they're not Minnesota hygienics. They're mutt bees that has that have been developed over like 30 years, and small cell. So they're a mix of everything. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm all for them. You know, if my if my small cell queen goes out and gets mated with a feral drone. Cool. Because more than likely, she probably will. So I should have no concern whatsoever if I decide next year to get some small cells and throw it in what I loosely call my apiary next to my conventional size bees? I, I can't see that being a problem. They're, because they're not going to... And, you know, if you have... Sometimes you'll have, like... Um, you'll have some drifting in hives where one's a little weaker, one's stronger, and you might have bees going in and out of the wrong hive and robbing out honey or killing out a queen or taking it over. I don't think that'd be a problem. Because, um, you know, and it, it, it's, they're, yes, they're special bees, and I think they're awesome, but they're, they're just bugs in a box. Um, and when you keep it under that context, these ones are just smaller bugs in a box. And um, I don't see a problem with, the, with that queen going out and getting mated by larger ones. Um, and, or, or vice versa. You take a large cell queen and have her go out and she gets mated by a small cell drone. It's not going to matter. Greg, Greg, I'm wondering if you know, uh, do the size of the bees have anything to do with their ability to pollinate different flowers better or so that's exactly. And, and, and Michael was actually, was, was actually talking about that is the smaller cell bees can get into some of the other pollen sources that the larger bees can't. So you could argue that a small cell bee um, could have a little bit more pollen available to them to bring back to the hive. Which, if you think about that, like just in itself, and which we saw today with how many bees are coming in with pollen. Like think too. about like, and I don't know, you know, I'm like I'm to be to be clear. And I think everybody knows Drew and I are beginning beekeepers. Yeah. Um, and so we uh, full disclosure, you know, don't do what we do because we're doing it. Um, my thoughts on that are just like anything else. You know, what if. Uh, what if a, cr- a, a crack in a mountain opened up and there was some new landscape underneath of there and there were these other plants that were super, super beneficial or medicinal that we never had access to before? I would think that could be extremely beneficial to us. Same thing with those bees. If those bees can get in and pollinate other flowers um, or tree crops that a bigger bee can't get into, I don't wonder if there's not some kind of a health benefit or overall uh, a hive health increase. Maybe not. It's it's neat. It's interesting to think about. But I mean, it, it also goes back to what you were saying too, like why you want to do this, and that's why. I mean, and I yeah. think knowing why you want to do it is is everything. So we'll go to Drew's bee goals. Well, so, you're, Drew, what are you doing with bees this year? What or what aren't you doing with bees this year? Well, so we decided swarm yet. Yeah, we haven't caught a swarm yet. There's been Dan here has actually said called me twice and said, "Hey, I got swarms," and it's like, man, I, I got. I'm really trying to get the stuff at the farming done. We we just finished uh, 
thanks to everybody's help today. We swapped the ACs and the and the trailer, and we got the the cooler going, so it's running on 110 volts. Where it's actually what is it? It's actually 130, right, Rich? But everyone says 110. 120. 120. Sorry. 120. 240. <laughs> so, anyways, so um, yeah, so that's what. So we got that done. The cool bot trailer is what you're talking about. The cool about. bot trailer. Yeah, we got yeah. that switched out. And so and that's ready to go for your place now. And and so it's like you know. We talked about this uh, the first episode, like, you know, this was something that would be on the back burner. This is something that I wouldn't be as invested in. I didn't want to put any money into it. And then through since the last podcast, you and I talking and us getting ideas. One idea was you would split them and just give me bees and put them in there. But we had a better idea, which is because I really don't want to worry about overwintering. I really don't care about collecting honey right now. And, but I do want to learn beekeeping. So our plan, which we, we discussed today, and I, and I think it's a good one, is for you just to put a couple hives or put bees in my hives, and then I'll go look at them every 9 to 11 days. You'll come and check in from time to time, too, to see. So if it's looking for something to split or to show me this is about to split, then I know, and then Rich will know, too, and then it's like then it's not as... It's something that's manageable for less me. Less unknown factors. Less to unknown deal with. factors. Um, and uh, and I just think that's that's I think that's especially how docile those bees are. Yeah. Being in an urban environment and not you know having a good relationship with my neighbors, um, I think that's a that's a big thing. And just say, look, keeping bees, they're not going to sting you. You're not. You're not. You're not. You guys aren't going to be having bees. Isn't like a huge secret. But no. if you can imagine being one of your neighbors. That doesn't and, understand. And two husky hillbilly guys in white hoods walk out of their house to go to a corner of their backyard. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, good uh, thing we're not in the south. I'm husky. <laughs> yeah. Stout. Stout. You know, it, it, it's drawing attention yeah. right, to yourselves. Absolutely. Oh, those look like Whatever. beekeepers. We've, yeah, we've already <laughs> right. seen this shit right. when you know, people are at BG and they see a, a hood over a, a Bunsen burner and they think it's something else. So. Right. Who was recently talking about that where their neighbor didn't even realize that they, they kept bees for, for three years? Was that, that, Shane? that was Shane McClellan when he was still in the burbs. Um, that's what happened. He was about to move out and he was actually quitting bees. And his neighbor said to him, are those bees? And he goes, yeah. How long have you had them? He's like three years. And he's like, oh, I never noticed. I guess it's not a big deal. And so, so I think that's that's my goals. Um, you guys are gonna go out in regular shirts and have you already well, got in the garden working yeah, bees with yeah. no suits on? You're not gonna draw attention to it. One of the things no. we were talking about, one of our concerns, because it's such a small yard and because we're we're farming it, is uh, space and the, the the flight path and not wanting to to cause an issue with the bees. After after seeing these, I don't think it's an issue at all. Yeah, I think it's 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 very exciting. So I mean, what I'm gathering is you are taking these small cell bees into an urban environment. Yeah, so, and I think that'd be interesting too, especially for Greg's, you know, Greg is trying to get a lot of data this year, and if I'm, if, you know, if I'm keeping bees, like his bees on my property, I mean, you can, it's easy to tell what production's like for in the city versus it's here. Two, you know, two separate bee yards to be able to compare, you know, yeah. how they're doing and what they're doing. And, and in reality, you're kind of going to have three because this property is very different than your other property down there. Are you going right. to have bees down there too? I'm, Probably, I'm assuming. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, even though this is, you know, it's like a, a couple blocks away essentially, but I, I, I think it's, I think it's good. And I think it's, uh, I mean, like I said, like I'm not, 
I want the experience and I don't necessarily want the responsibility of wintering bees or anything like that. But I think the idea of you, Rich and I coming together on my property and doing it, it, it it's so, pretty yeah, cool. You, get to, you, get to, you still have that, you have the hands-on learning opportunity, yeah. um, but without some of the ownership risk mm-hmm. um, of the hives. Like what, like uh, what Hebert's doing at his place. Yeah. You know, someone's bringing some hives out to his farm um, and Hebert's not responsible for them. Yeah. Know, of course, he's not going to run them over or, you know, do something silly like that. But you know, I, I would imagine that keepers are going to come out and, you know, uh, when when there's an opportunity to, you know, hands on education with Scott on this is what I'm doing and why. And here's the bees and, um, you know, getting comfortable with them that way. And that's, you know, for here, I mean, you're only you're about an hour, only less about an hour away from me. I'm always through Columbus. You know, we'll get these bees over to your place and see how these, you know, small cell bees from our farm do. Um, and you guys' urban plot and see, you know, see what they do. And that's, I think that's valuable feedback. But we can do it in a way where there's less uh, uh, failure risk um, and you get a hands-on approach. And you get to decide, hey, I re- you know, I don't really like this as much as I thought I would. And you're, you have a little less invested, Yeah, you know, that way. Yeah, and I think it's, and it's, it's interesting, too, because this is your second season. This would be my first. So um, I'm, not, I'm not as ballsy as you. In the first year, you're like yeah. totally hands off, and then, and now this year you're coming back with a lot more knowledge, really anchoring off that experience and that. So, I think it would be fun. It'd be fun too for all of us to just be able to anchor off of what I learned a little bit from your first experience, and then having us report, being able to report on this podcast on the same bees. Yeah, what you're noticing here, what we're noticing in the city, right? And I think that's going to make a lot more sense. And, and and another point too, we were out in the bee yard. And I'm going to circle back to it. We had this idea of swarms because you had the feral bees, but then it's like the more we kind of learn, it's like, well, that was it was kind of luck for you to catch those feral bees in a sense. And now you already have the smaller feral bees that you could get. Well, not feral, but smaller cell, mut, smaller mm-hmm. cell mutt bees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and you were talking about swarms today about, you know, as I have swarm traps and everything, but honestly, it would make more sense for me to just work these bees. And well, if you're looking at like an overall health of your bee yard, yeah, you know, I think swarms are exciting and are great when you don't have bees and you're you're trying to build numbers um, as cost effective as you can, right? And you, if you catch three or four or five and you get five beehives going in, you know, it depends on, on your knowledge base. If if you can learn how to split those down, you can double down more of like the um, uh, ex- expansion beekeeping model. Mm-hmm. And you can go into hot. You can go into the the winter with ten. That's great, you know. But if you already have bees in your yard, for the time that it takes to go out and and, and set traps and follow up on them, um, and then you know break them down and get them into boxes, you know I don't know that that for me I'll say this for me it doesn't make sense to do that when I because now only because I have bees. Yeah. And I know how to to crowd them out. I know how to split them and make more bees uh, of these same genetics of this same same health and vigor. To me, uh, the time investing and that effort, to me, there's a higher return splitting and making my own swarms off of my own genetics be- just because I have the bees. Yeah. You know, now over, over at the farm, if I want to run, if I don't want to run small cell and I just want to run ferals or standard size bees, um, well then, yeah, if I catch some, I'll, I'll do, I can do the same practices and it'll be more, more data. But, you know, I, I think it's a great idea to be excited about catching swarms. But I think one thing you've got to consider when you're catching a swarm, um, just because the queen's not marked doesn't mean it's not from 
uh, a package bee or from an apiary. Yeah. You know, you can have a, a marked queen in, in a colony, um, and for some reason they split. Half of them leave with a new queen that are from that same hive. That same hive could be loaded with varroa mite or trachea mite or uh, hive beetles or, or anything else, mm-hmm. um, nozema, and it can pass that along to all the bees that are going to leave. So you never know what you're going to get. You don't know who those bees are that are up in that tree. Um, and so I think it's I think it's a fun risk to take. But I think if you, like for here, I won't bring those here to this bee yard. Yeah. Um, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd like to try to keep, um, you know, because like Michael was talking about, you know, when, when Dan asked, you know, do you worry about them, them crossing, having a problem there? I don't worry about like genetically them crossing. But what I w- would worry about is, you know, my bees being in contact with other bees at a water source or somewhere else um, and possibly passing on something to them. And that's but that you're going to have that no matter what you do. Absolutely. You know, so, so if, if you were to catch swarms, because I've had bees for a month now, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden twice in one week I've had people call me about swarms, would you completely segregate them from your bee yard somewhere else? I'd have two yards. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have, I'd have two have yards. Like a, a it's a dedicated it, swarm yeah, yard. Like, well, like you know, you, you've raised pork and chickens. Imagine you had a whole forest full of pork, and someone says, oh, my God, I got these pigs here, and they're whatever, and whatever breeds, and they just showed up. Would you bring those pigs and put them right in the same forest paddocks? Oh, not with, immediately. No. You'd put them in a quarantine. You'd check them out, you know, see what's what first. And then maybe, if it's a good fit, you would, you would incorporate them. You know, so if if I had clean bees and I was confident of their health and vigor, I wouldn't. I I, I could put them here in this yard with these small cells. I wouldn't even worry about. It. I'd have them marked. I'd have, I'd have my, you know, uh, my information, my data, my record keeping. That which you know, I, I would know what's what. So I wouldn't worry about that part so much. You've spoken about it a few times. What what do you mean by record keeping? So Michael Jordan, you know, I I got to. It was great to. You know he's extremely one-on-one, and he'll entertain all your questions all day long. And the, the I think the most profound question that I could think of to ask him was: is if you were to do it all differently, if you could do anything differently, what would you do? And he said, I would keep better records from the start. Record keeping, record keeping, record keeping is the most important thing. He said. Yeah. And so if we could just pass along that to everybody, if Michael Jordan says the most important thing you can do. Um, is not what size smoker or what size jacket or what tool you use or what kind of bees or what kind of hive. Keep records of what you're doing. That's probably the most important thing. I think I would totally agree. And because of that, you know, we're going to get way more serious um, with with how we're, you know, with what we're doing here. Well, so, so well, is that? Oh, I'm sorry. Is that no. just your? I'm probably going to ask the same question. I was just asking, what do you document? What's exactly. Your yeah. Like. Right. I looked at bees. They looked good. Yep. In a so, box. right. The time, and so, the um, yeah. So, in, in a book that he gave, uh, he gave Drew and he gave me, um, there's, you have hive inspection lists is one of those things. You know, one thing, one thing that he's really big on, on is, is weighing your hives. And as soon as I get these split down and I have baseline numbers, I'm going to weigh every single hive. I have the date. Um, and you start with, you know, you can weigh the hive. You can make notes on how many frames of brood pollen how much honey overall you know are these um uh active bees are they less active you know there's there, there's ratings how many bees are going in that entrance at once is this high traffic is this medium traffic is this low traffic is it no traffic it seems like silly stuff like i'm gonna remember that but you won't and i don't and i wish i would have done the same thing because well, then you can then, then you can then you can look back hive uh hive hive one and row two of yard 18 
uh, was doing this, this, and this for these two months. Weather was cloudy. Temperature yeah, was this. You're have, yeah. So you, like, as far as what you're going to document, it's going to be weather conditions. It's going to be time. Um, it's going to be, you know, it might make a note what's actually blossoming. Like right now, what pollen are they bringing? What color is it? How much traffic do they have uh, coming in and out? Are they putting on swarm cells yet? What's the pattern the, the queen's laying in? Um, you could go the weight of the hive, on and on and on and on. Um, and you can look at uh, hive checklists, and they kind of have all that, inf- all that information in it. One thing that I'm, I'm looking at, um, and I haven't quite hit the button on it, but there's an app uh, called um, is it Hive Keeper or Hive Tracker. I can't remember. Um, but it's a, it's a mobile um, log of all of that, and it goes to a cloud, and you can print them out and put them in a binder or just keep them in the cloud digitally. Um, but it's a way that you can track all that and input it right from your phone, which which is kind of handy. Um, but if you, depending on like if you're wearing if you're wearing like regular bee gloves, you know, it's hard to get your phone out and take a picture, let alone make a note. Exactly. But like if you're I, what we switched to was um, was nitrile gloves early on this year, and when and when we were handling some other people's bees that were aggressive, they weren't singing through the black thick nitrile gloves. So that was kind of nice. With the black nitrile gloves, you can write, you can open up your phone, you can you can the touch screen works and all that. So that's kind of that that's a little bit handy there, but you know, just keep, you know, like I probably like like with anything else, like put record more information they think that you're gonna need. There might be something that you don't think super important, like wind speed on a you know partly cloudy day, um, but then like next year if you see like a repeat, you know, not to get all you know permaculture or anything here, but if you're getting into like recognizing patterns and systems thinking, if you can look back and see a pattern that your bees do this behavior on this kind of day every single month of this of, of a certain year. Well, you, that might put you in a, in a position to be able to take action on something if you need to. I think my big problem going forward with the documentation is because that's one big thing we're trying to push this year at the ranch is getting their P&Ls actually accurate, documenting everything, keeping good books. But now with adding documentation to the bees, the list of things you rattled off, half of it I couldn't tell you the difference between. Yeah. The the whole spectrum of it, and, that, and it's just pure inexperience. Right. And that's, and that's you know, bee clubs are great, but finding a local mentor or a buddy – Mm-hmm. Um, you know that can go show you, show you those kind of things, and you know I think that helps you know big time. If you don't know what to look for, like what what, what how what's what's this traffic? Is it high? Is it low? Is it medium? Exactly. You know what kind of brood is she spotty? Those kind of things. The kids are getting riled up. Mom, I heard the dinner bell think, ring there. Yeah, I think, we, I think gotta we get have going. Some biscuits yeah. and gravy that are ready for dinner. So here. we got to wrap this up. Uh, appreciate Dan and Rich asking all these extra questions. It's cool having everybody here on a little, little bee round <laughs> table. I'm glad James isn't here to ask questions. Yeah, yeah. you have anything else you want to? Does anybody want to add anything else or anything no, else I, to say? I, I think I was really good today. Yeah. Well, you weren't. You were asking. You weren't asking that as many questions as Dan. Dan's quite the talker, though, so it makes sense. So, all right. Well. Guys, thanks for being here. It's a fun time. Thanks, everyone, for helping me with the walk-in cooler today. I really appreciate that as well. And, uh, Greg, thanks for having us all over, man. And, thanks uh, for being here, guys. Yeah, it's fun. Looking forward to uh, it's fun to be out next here. month. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And remember, hashtag be the change. Be the change. Hashtag buzzcast. Hashtag be the change. Hashtag buzzcast. Thank you guys so much for listening once again.